press on. That story I just told the kids has been with me for 40 years. That was 1983. And that living metaphor of, of struggling up a mountain and just wanting to do anything but that in the moment and wanting it to be over with and then having the joy of being at the top. I, I've come back to that countless times when I'm going through a difficulty and realizing, keep going, Paul, there's, there's a blessing at the end in some form or another. By the way, that if those of you who have been to Twin Pines and have ever been um, to, to the shale pit, the, the lower section there that still looks like it was mined not long ago, most of it has grown in up the hill. But if you go from that flat spot in the shale pit and you look up to where the vista is, where the bench is, and you can overlook, that, that's usually you go up there, you go through the trail in the woods, that's not quite as steep. But if any of you have ever done that little trek from that flat part of the shale pit up to the bench, multiply that by about 25. That's what this trip was for me when I, I, I picked this picture because it's not unlike what I experienced in Montana. We need those moments, though, to look back on, to remind us to keep going, to press on. Because as people of faith, we believe that God is with us and that God indeed desires to, to touch our lives, desires to bless our lives. And the deepest blessings, the biggest changes that we experience and encounter in our walk with the Lord will almost always involve difficulty and or suffering but God knows that there is something worthwhile in the end that he wants to, to give us, to show us, to reveal to us that you will not experience unless you go through the pain, go through the struggle, go through the climb. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here this morning. I, I picked out those two words, press on, that you see there in both verse 12 and 14 of the the third chapter of Philippians, to, to press on together. And how do we press on? How do we keep moving? Well, there's several reminders I want to give us today that, that, that will be helpful. The first is to forget and move forward. He mentions here in the 13th verse, forgetting what is behind. That's not easy, is it? It's not easy to, to, to let go, to, to keep going. It's not easy to um, look ahead when there's still pain in the past. But if you linger on the past, then basically you're carrying the weight of the past with you forward. Again, in my own personal metaphor of having the backpack with me, we only took what we absolutely needed to take with us. Anything more would just weigh us down and slow us down. And so letting go, forgetting of what is behind is really important. I suppose I could have gotten so deeply aggravated with, with the hike and the climb that when I got to the top, I could have caved into the frustration and just been... You know, become angry. Why am I here? Why do they go on this trip? This was too hard, too hard. Who picked this trail anyway? 
and then not even have looked or seen and appreciated the blessing that was right before me, the beauty of that moment. Too often in life, I think that temptation takes hold of us, or at least can, to not see the blessing that is before us because we're still aggravated about what's behind us. And so that is the challenge I think Paul is giving to us today to to forget and to move forward is, is part of pressing on. Notice that Paul speaks about not having arrived yet. Now remember, this was written very late in Paul's life. We don't know exactly when he died, but Paul wasn't um, wasn't very old, even by today's standards. Um, at least I hope not. He was probably about my age when he wrote this, <laughs> in his mid-60s. He might have been a little older than that, but we're not 100% sure. But he still had opportunity going forward to do things. As he wrote about earlier in Philippians, he was kind of torn, and in part he wanted to to go on and be with the Lord, but he was ready to continue to serve God and to keep preaching if that's what God wanted him to do. But think of all that Paul had been through, and he listed that earlier in in Philippians. In other books, he writes about all the trials he has endured, all the travel, all the journey, all the preaching, all the the imprisonments, the beatings, the, the, the oppression that he experienced constantly. Here's a man that had been through enough. And if he had been taking on to go with the Lord, everyone would have thought, well, good for Paul. He earned it. He deserved this somehow. And so we are, we're glad for him. So when Paul speaks about pressing on, this is not a man that, that hasn't lived or hasn't done much. He has. And when he says to forget what is behind, that's a lot. To move forward in spite of all of the pain he's experienced. Paul's not carrying yesterday's pain into this moment or into tomorrow. He's choosing to move ahead. He is is keeping the end in mind, heavenward in Christ Jesus, as it says there in the 14th verse, pressing on toward that. So, how can I press on? I forget. I choose to forget. And I, and I move forward. And then I also want to maintain and mature as I move on. Maturity is a, a sign of maturity, excuse me, is realizing and admitting to yourself that you still have work to do. If the Apostle Paul hasn't fully matured as a believer, then who has? Too often we think we have to get to a point of arrival or some people even decide in their own heart and mind, maybe just subconsciously or perhaps very consciously, I got this. I've learned all I need to know about Jesus, about the ways of God. I've got it all together. I'm done. I'm done learning, I'm done growing, I'm done maturing, I don't have to do any more of that. In fact, I've done enough of that, God, everyone else can do that now, I don't need to. Maybe you've never put it in such direct verbiage to yourself or to God, but in effect, that's what happens when we 
decide that we don't have to go on, that we don't need to press on. Because maturity is not a, a point of arrival. It is a chosen way of living to continue to grow. I find maturity exciting. I find the idea that there's still more for me to learn wonderful. Every time I open up this book, for example, what can I see today that's new, that's different? Or perhaps be reminded of something that I've left behind, I have forgotten that I need to to bring with me. But curiosity and wonder is still with me. That, that, That little boy inside me that just looks at the world and says, wow. I'm never going to know everything about everything, of course. I'm never going to understand about God completely. So what can I learn today that's new and different, that's better, that's inspiring? That's the attitude that that we want to bring. That's the attitude of maturity, is to keep being open to growth and something, something new. And as I mentioned a moment ago, staying stuck in the past just keeps you dragged down. It puts you into a place of nowhere. Going nowhere. And I think I've used this before, but it's worth repeating here. When you take the word nowhere, if you want to get unstuck, if you want to stop being in the place of nowhere, then look at that word and separate it between the W and the H. Then you have two words, now here. Instead of nowhere, instead of being stuck, I am choosing to be now here in the moment that I am. The only moment that I can ever do anything about. I can't change one thing about yesterday. And while I can plan and think about tomorrow and look ahead a little bit, the only moment that I have where I can really make a decision that's going to affect me is right now. And that's always the case. It's always the way it is in this moment of now. Too often we find ourselves fighting two two battles that, that keep us in that place of nowhere. Again, dragging the past with us and lingering there or being so fearful of tomorrow and and trying to overplan tomorrow or thinking that someday it's going to be better, someday it's going to be different. And and it's it's like, you know, chasing the carrot, you know, held there before the horse. You never reach it. You never get it. You keep straining for something that, that you can't have. The moment that we are in is the only moment that you have. So what can you do today in this seemingly insignificant moment of now that can affect you, then change you, and and affect and change others for the better in their maturity for Christ? That's how we maintain it. That's how we move forward. And to maintain, we have to keep on practicing it. He says to, to live up to what you have already attained, The greatest athletes in the world have to continue to practice their sport. They have to continue to do the fundamentals about how to to handle the basketball or how to block and tackle on the football field or any other discipline that, that you might enjoy in your life. If you stop doing it, you eventually lose that ability. 
My, my daughter Leah is a fantastic mathematician. She went to, to college and got a, a master's in applied mathematics. She does things with numbers that I don't even begin to understand. You know, I shut down mentally at algebra. You know, I, I got through that class somehow. I said, that's it. No more mixing up numbers and letters together. I, I can't deal with that. <laughs> but she's been blessed with a mind that understands numbers and math and applies them well in her job. Now, what she also told me is when she stops doing those advanced math equations for a while, it's not like she can just pick it up again and jump back into them. Once you stop doing it, it's, you have to relearn it and figure it out all over again in some ways, and then, okay, then she starts to understand again. And that's the way it is with most, most things, isn't it? The things we let go of, you have to relearn. So the most important discipline as disciples of Jesus, you ever thought about those two words having the same root, discipline and disciple? The discipline of following Jesus means we have to stay with the fundamentals in order to mature in our faith. Disciplines such as what you're doing today, you've, you've made worship a priority in your life and you've come to worship, you've come to sing, you've come to pray, you've come to, to fellowship with others and to maintain those relationships, you've come to learn the word of God. That is one of the disciplines of faith in your own life, the time that you make to pray to the Lord, the time you make to get into the scriptures, to learn what God has to show you, the time you make to reach out and connect with other believers and, and to, to share your burdens, to listen to theirs, and to share your joys and listen to theirs. All of those are part of the disciplines of our faith that help us continue in our maturity and help us to press on, maintain and mature. And also pressing on includes examples and models. That 17th verse, Paul, as he boldly states in almost all of his letters, follow me. Would you see me doing do that? Oh boy. Are any of us that bold? He's not saying that out of a sense of arrogance. He is saying it with a sense of confidence, knowing that God has brought him pretty far and through a lot. And he looks back in his own life. Have you ever been through something really difficult and you look back and you think, wow, how did I get through that? <laughs> that was really difficult. And yet you did. You know, in my own life very recently, I, I look at how almost a year ago now I, I got this, this cancer diagnosis and I look back at how God had guided me and, and given me the strength when I needed it. And, you know, I, I don't want to have to go through that again. Perhaps I will one day. I don't know. But having gone through that and pressing on in faith through it will better enable me to press on when another health challenge comes my way or challenges in other forms. And, and that's also what helps us. So, but for me, I, I look to others too as examples. And so as in as much as my faith 
in that time of my life last year has, you look at that and you're, you're glad for me. And, and if that is inspiring to you, good. I'm glad that, that God would take a difficult moment in my life and enable you to be strong in a moment that you might be facing or will face one day. So in that way, I will say the same as Paul, follow my example of faith and trusting God to, to mature and, and maintain my faith. Models. I don't know what has gone into your mind, or what had gone into your heart and mind this morning, probably not a whole lot in terms of what you chose to wear today. You probably didn't uh, consult um, a magazine or a website and say, okay, what should I wear today? Oh, yeah, that looks good because that model wore it. <laughs> we don't usually think that way. And yet, even if your wardrobe has hardly changed in 40 years or 50 years or longer, there was still a point in time where you made a decision about what you're wearing for a reason. Someone else looked good in that, or you like the way somebody else looked good, or, oh, that, that's neat, that's different. Okay, I'm going to wear that. And that's what you wear. You don't consciously think of that very often. Most of us don't. But models do influence us, and, and here's how I know that. Because most people in our culture dress in similar fashion. There's a whole variety of those, but... You don't usually see someone dressing, for example, especially if they grew up here, deciding to dress as if they live in the Middle East or dress as if they live in Mongolia or Siberia or somewhere else. Those people have their own fashion and they have reasons for that. So we do look to models even though we don't realize it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just... We have to have clothes of some kind, so okay, that looks nice, it looks good, that's what I'm going with. We have models in our lives too, in a much more important way. We have people that we are looking to. We have people that we want to follow. So notice how Paul says in this verse, not only to follow him, but he says, keep your eyes on those who live this way. Keep your eyes on people that are following Jesus even when it, it's hard. In fact, especially when it's hardest. They're following Jesus when if they decided to reject him, you'd almost want to say, well, who am I to say? I haven't walked that path. I haven't been through that difficulty. But there they are, still following Jesus in the face of, of trauma, the face of, of, of grief, the face of difficulties that no one wants to go through. That's who we can see as our models. So we have examples and models to follow. And then also to press on, pay attention to our mind and to our motivation. <coughs> He says here in the 18th through the, the 21st verses, <clears throat> he's imploring them because some people are walking away. 
some people have embraced this path of faith of following Jesus, but it did get too hard for them. And, and they did give up, and the mountain was too big. And he's really torn by that. They, they, they've turned away from the way of following. And so he's you know, saying with, with, you know, with tears, and I love Paul's heart when he writes. He is thinking of someone as he's writing that. Thinking of someone who's walked away. Perhaps there's people in your life that you know have walked away from Jesus Christ. And I mean more than just not coming to church. That can be a sign of it, but there's plenty of people who don't go to church or don't go to church often who haven't given up on Jesus. But perhaps you know someone that has just just left it go. I want nothing to do with religion and certainly nothing to do with the way of Jesus as I've been shown. And maybe they don't put it in so many words, but you see it. This is what Paul's thinking about a person or persons that he's known that have taken that unfortunate path. And in order to prevent us from going in that direction, we have to guard our mind and our motivation, or as I've said before, uh, pay attention to what it is you're paying attention to. What has your mind? What has your attention? When Paul writes here about the stomach, he says their God, you know, their destiny is destruction, the God is, their God is their stomach. It's not just food, although food can be something that can draw us away, um, or at least be kind of a symptom of the problem. I even see on television about, um, sometimes it's joked about emotional eating, you know, eating because you, you're sad. Um, and we haven't, a, we haven't a word for it, comfort food. You know, we, we go to the thing that, that makes us feel better. And to a point, that's okay. And we can, you know, this week, a comfort food, boy, we had pumpkin pie. Yes. <laughs> I enjoy that. And I enjoy a slice. But if I get depressed and eat the whole pie, that's not a good thing. <laughs> and yet sometimes people use food as an escape. But it's more than just the stomach. It's more than just food. It is the idea of appetite. What are we trying to, to fill ourselves with? What are we trying to accomplish in that by turning to those appetites? John writes uh, in a similar idea here in 1 John chapter 2 at, at verse 15 to 17 when he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So that this, their God is their stomach, as Paul writes in, in Philippians 3, is a similar idea to what John is saying here about, the, about lust, and not just sexual, but the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the things that draw us in, that we think are going to make us happy. If I just had that thing, if I could just feel that feeling, 
if I could just be in that place. We try to substitute the way of God with ways of the world, and that doesn't get us there. That doesn't help us. And so, again, pay attention to what it is your mind is paying attention to, and your motivation is about where you're headed in the end. Your motivation is, is heaven, and not just getting there one day, but think about all the times that Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven. And in the prayer, we're going to pray in a moment that, that the ways of heaven come now. And so we experience it now. So in as much as we can fill our lives with that which does last forever, and if you're not sure of what that is, remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, the three things that last forever, faith, hope, and love. So in as much as that which we are investing ourselves into our time, our energy, our focus, if they produce and reveal faith, hope, and love, they are good and they are from God. And then lastly, I, I wanted to just jump into the next chapter only because these three verses fit far better here than they do into what's after verse 4 of chapter 4. So let me read this. This is from the first three verses of chapter 4, and I think this is a way that to apply what Paul's been speaking about here in this, this message here in chapter 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So this way means what he's pointing back to in chapter 3, by pressing on, by you know, investing in that which is going to mature your faith. Continuing, I plead with Udiah and I plead with Syntek to be of the same mind in the Lord. Apparently, these two people were at odds with one another. We're not getting along. And, and look what he says about them. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So these are good people that have invested themselves in the way of Jesus and, and into the church in Philippi, but are at odds with one another. Along with Clement and the rest of the, my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Like so many other principles that Paul writes about and teaches, it really boils down to relationships as the most important avenue, the most important um, aspect of life that we have to apply those principles into, and that is relationships. It is these relationships that we have with one another that are vital, that are so important. And here, as I mentioned, when we began looking at this book of Philippians, this church of all the churches Paul wrote to seemed to get it better than anybody else, seemed to be so in tune with the way of Christ and to following Jesus and to be united in doing so. And yet, even there, there's a hint of a problem or at least something that has to be addressed before it becomes a bigger problem. And that's still true today. So no matter where we are at here at St. John's Church in terms of our, our fellowship and our growth and, and, and the ways that, that we want to um, 
maintain and continue to follow Christ, there is always the danger of division. And it always begins with just two people who are at odds, and from there it can spread. So let's always guard against that. And when people are not getting along with one another, as Paul says here, he pleads with them, verse 2, to work, work it out and work together. So I hope that we, from these verses today, we've seen different ways that God implores us to press on and keep climbing the mountain because it's worth it in the end. Father, thank you for these scriptures Help us to apply them to our lives. Show us where that application is most important right now. In Jesus' name, amen.